0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Applied, episode 321. This program is in memory of Miriam Batleya, dedicated by Hilary Bar Markowitz. Tonight is Chof of, the 76th yard site of Rabbi Levi the Rebbe's father. Tovshin Dalit is when he passed away. At the time, they weren't so clear when exactly it was what year, but ultimately it was clear that it, be, it was the 20th of Av in Tav 1944, in Alma which was in Golis. This is where he was sent off and suffered greatly, as documented by the Rebbe Tzachana, his wife, the Rebbe's mother. The Rebbe made many times reference to it and had much aggravation over the fact that he could not honor his father. Especially in those difficult years. And yet, as Levi Yitzchak himself explains in that Meshima, that fascinating, I mean, unbelievable manuscript where he writes about himself, that his name, Levi and Yitzchak, and all the events in his life all indicate to Gvuda. Gvura means severities, difficulties which he went through, and he explains it even in the context of how many prisons he was in and what years and the different days he sat, all connecting it, seeing even in his oppression, even in his challenges, he saw lakus, godliness. It wasn't just words, because he lived through it, and we know that he suffered greatly. But l'fum tzayda agra, from every suffering comes out greatness, and here we have the Rebbe, the son of Rabbi Yitzchok the oldest son, becomes the Rebbe of the seventh generation, the Deir of of Chabad. The Rebbe, of course, we know, honored his father in ways that are beyond imagination, especially due to the fact that he could not honor him for all those years. The Rebbe left Russia with the Frida Rebbe, Tophresh Peytes. That would be the year 1928, the end of 1928. So from 1928, when was the last time he saw his father, we don't know. But let's say even if it was in 1928 or a little earlier, 1927, which is not necessarily the case, it was difficult to travel. These were extremely difficult times then. But at Kaponim, from 1928 till 1944, you count the years. The Rebbe would not reunite with his mother until Tovshin Zayin, 1947, when she came out of Russia and the Rebbe went to Paris to greet her and bring her back to New York with him. There's so much to be said and lessons that to be learned, especially in the context of Chassidah supplied. So I think one way to go about this, though I've talked about this in previous years, is to say a short Torah and a word from the Baal Ha'ilullah of Chavov. The Rebbe, every year when he fabreined on Chavov, he would make a siyum. And if, as you probably know, that after the Rebbe Tzachana came out of Russia, she brought with her writings, that were left. Much was lost, they say. But there was plenty also left, and it was printed in volumes of Lekuta Levi Yitzchok, Tedes Levi Yitzchok, Igres, letters from the Rebbe, from the Rebbe's father to the Rebbe. So it was published in books, and Sfarim, and by the Rebbe that was extremely cherished and precious, to the point that he, every Shabbos, would dedicate a section of the Fabrenin to explain the teda of his father. First it began with explaining his father's commentary on, uh, on Egedes HaTshuva, then on Tanya, and then Lekut HaLevi on each week's Pasha and the Zoyar, from time to time, Tedes HaLevi the different commentaries that the that Rabbi Levy, Rabbi wrote on Gemora, on Chazal, on uh, different uh, subject matters. <clears throat> so I'll share one or two Tedes that may be known, may not known. One I heard years ago I don't think the Rebbe ever commented on it, but we say in Eshaini Rabbe, on Shemini Yatzeres, I'm sorry, on Shemini as well as on Pesach, we talk about the, the, the Tfilas Tal, Tfilas Geshem on Shemini and Tfilas Tal. When we change the Nusachah of the of the avening, or, uh, when we talk about Tal or with the Tfilas Geshem, when the, rain, when the rain season begins or when the rain season ends. So we have Merida Tal or Merida Geshem, and um, and we, then we have uh, tal. So in that tefillah, there's an expression, when you say the Brochid it says, that the rain or the tal, the dew, should be l'chaim to life and not, God forbid, to death. As the Bala it seems redundant. If it's to life, it means it's not to death. They seem, l'chaim movis means l'chaim. And he says, no, a person can have Leila Movis, not be dead technically, but also not really be completely alive. We're not talking about biologically. When we say the brach, of o'levrochem, when we say lechaim, we're not just saying be alive. It means not just physically alive. You can also be physically alive, and I'm explaining, but be like a zombie. Be emotionally dead, not feel purpose, not feel passion, not feel vitality. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, l'chaim v'le'l'moves, not just we should have Movis, that you shouldn't be the opposite of death, but you should actually be, that life is more than just the absence of death. Life is a full-bodied experience. And especially a chaim l'chaim, not poir she'yon, as the expression goes by the chesidim. It shouldn't be peasant years, petty years, but it should be elevated years, transformative years, transcendent years. In Tov Shelah was, uh, was it Yeralef Nissen or Chofov? I think it was Yeralef Nissen. The Rebbe said something interesting when he spoke about his father. And from the rare time, the Rebbe spoke personally about his younger years. It's always Gishmak to hear. What did the Rebbe say? The Rebbe was talking about, I believe, about the Shtochim, about Eretz We all know the Rebbe being extremely adamant not to give one inch of land for, uh, for away from Eretz Yisroel, and but the Rebbe was being criticized by people about his strong position, his strong stance. So the Rebbe said in the middle of the break and the Rebbe suddenly said and he smiled and he said, "People ask me, am I bothered by the fact that people criticize me? That they talk against what I, my my position against me? They, they attack me." Of course, the Rebbe speaking Yiddish. So the Rebbe said. To say doesn't bother me at all, I can't. But to say that it bothers me to the extent that I will stop speaking, also not. And the Rebbe continued. Which, as I said, an interesting insight gives a glimpse of the Rebbe's younger years. The Rebbe tells us that, and where did I so-called develop that type of position that I'm not going to be quiet just because I'm being criticized? He says, he so starts telling. Since I was the b'chor, the oldest, in the family, and people would come from all over to ask my father questions, he says all types of people, and sometimes there are people who were like critics and skeptics and had their came more adversarial positions. So he says, so often they would send them to me to talk to them, being that I also was versed in more in several languages. Rebbe said. And then the Rebbe added as a, uh, an aside, he said, and I am not going to, uh, to say that I am that I'm proud of it. I'm not saying I'm proud of it, that I know languages. But to deny that I learn languages, which I'm sure they'll criticize me for as well, I'm not going to deny it because it won't help anyway. Not like those people that try to hide their pasts. I'm just hazing the way the Rebbe said it. Okay. The Rebbe continued, so they would come to me I guess it meant that they spoke other languages, not Russian or not Yiddish. So I assumed that a the Rebbe would take care or deal with them. In a form of, it doesn't say it clearly, but like, almost like assisting his father in dealing with certain challenging people. And the Rebbe said, and there I learned, when I was dealing with these people, I learned from young age, how even when you're uh, criticized or even when they uh, speak harshly to you, that it shouldn't affect you. And then the Rebbe said these words, which are, I think... He says, I'll say it in Yiddish, then I'll translate. He said, This was not the way I was educated. Or this was not for for this purpose, I was not educated that when something is dangerous or strikes danger or uh, poses danger and threat to Jewish people, that I'm going to be quiet explaining what he said, that even though I can't say it doesn't bother me, but to be quiet, not. Which tells you, he grew up in a home with a sense of urgency, and it's that you don't, you don't pause or hesitate or retreat because someone doesn't like it, or because someone's critical. You don't take it personally in that way. It's a tremendous lesson in that type of fortitude, which of course was a hallmark of the Rebbe of all the Rabbein, but here the Rebbe made direct reference to it. So Covered Chavov, thought it was interesting to hazard and repeat the lessons in what I just said in both Lachaim Movis... as well as the story that the Rebbe shared with us. I think is obvious about how each of us, very often, we know the Choshen begins with a statement: "Al Yevish do not be ashamed, do not be embarrassed." before those that will laugh at you, will mock you. He'll say, one second, we all have a certain level of self-confidence and self-esteem. Suddenly I'm going to, the Shulchan Aruch has to tell us, okay? You could say some people may be a little weak, but this is the opening of Shulchan Aruch for all Jews. Everybody. Why would the Shulchan Aruch make such a statement? As if assuming that people may, may, may uh, compromise their own integrity because someone's mocking. So there's a Gemara in Brachis that talks about Abyechim and it was, he was the day of his passing. Here is his uh, passing. Reichen ben Zakeh, of course, was one of the greatest Tanoim. His students were at his bed. And one of the last things he says to them, he says, Halavai, may it be that you should fear heaven, God, as much as you fear other people. Now, this is not small people. We're talking about students of Rabbi Yechon and Ben Zakkai. Because that is human nature. Even the, great of the greatest of the greats so can sometimes be affected. Because adam is Medini, the Rambam says. We are social beings, and we are dependent, firstly, on our parents, on friends, on peers, on educators, on a community, on a society. So it is possible that a person may, at least for a moment... Pause or hesitate because how what others are going to say about you. And then some of us, that could be a driving force in our lives. We either are pleasers or we don't want to rock the boat or we don't like confrontation. All the different reasons. Comes the Shulchan Aruch and says openly, the first day statement, Remember, God is always before you. It's the only one you have to consider. Everyone else is not the Al-Yevash M'Pnei Interestingly, the Baal Shem Tov heard the same words from his father as before his passing. Very similar to what Rabbi Yechem Ben Zakeh said. A little different language. What he told his little son, Yisrael, who would later become the Baal Shem Tov. Do not fear anyone except Hashem God. And we know from the stories how that infused and instilled and imbued in that young boy impressional mind and heart and soul his father's last words that he never was afraid of anything, except God. is that easy? No, it's not easy, but it's a lesson. <laughs> not I was not trained, I was not educated, that something is happening, a threat or some other issue to be silent. It's a tremendous lesson for each one of us we will have many challenges in life. And very often we shrink away. We don't want to, as I said, rock the boat. We don't want to shake things up. We don't want to disturb anybody. But lo yichre v'lo as Mordechai taught us. We don't bow. We don't prostrate. We don't answer to anyone but God. This is what we need to aspire to. It may sound like a simple lesson, but these are the lessons we learn from some of these greats. And the goal is to live, not just to not be dead, God forbid, not just to not be lifeless, but to live with a primius, with a chayis, with a varamkeit, with vitality, dynamic life, driven by purpose, driven by mission. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak was a living example of someone who went through tremendous soros and aggravation. That literally changed his whole being. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the picture we always had of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak all the years was a picture of his, well, of his last... Uh, year or last months of his life. When the picture arrived, and it's printed in uh, the Rishimus of Levi of Yitzchak Antanya, when the picture arrived and the Rebbe saw it, the Rebbe wrote, Amurza Murza? With a question mark. He asked him, this is my father? Basically, he didn't even recognize him. Later, a picture was discovered, which is the one that's become more popular. It's also a picture under duress. When he was arrested, this picture was taken. But it's obviously much closer to his face. But when you look at it, you really see almost like two people how white he became. His wife, the Rebbe Sanchani, writes how ill he became. And yet he saw in all of it the divine hand. Thank God today we're blessed that we don't go through such sardis. But these are lessons for us, especially today when people say, what's going to be tomorrow? This pandemic disrupting, demoralizing, disorienting us all from our summer plans and our school plans and our children, our work, travel. I mean, you name it. So everyone in their given situation, we have to remember that we were trained for something. We were trained to be in this time, to be leaders, to be proactive, and not definitely not to shrink in fear, and never to be in a spall, and to be impacted in any way by what people say. We need to be influencers, not being influenced by. That's how we were trained. You influence and then you're not influenced. You become the proactive leader, the one that generates, the one that initiates. Those are some of the lessons, and we do when you do that. It's lachaim, not just leila movis, It's lachaim. It's filled with vitality and life because you're driven by the purpose of your life. So it's a good time now to think about that. There are many, of course, obviously many more taters We could talk about chafov. I'll mention one more that Rebbe brings. The Rebbe said he heard from his father. Why does it say "I'll call you Mechayecha, L'Hoviy, the Why doesn't say L'rabis"? Often it says the pasuk comes L'rabis, to add. Lahovi means to bring. So the Rebbe says, "This father said to because the goal is to bring Mashiach into our lives, not just to teach us that it's indicating to Mashiach's coming." to bring it into our lives. And the Rebbe actually made that a very fundamental principle in the Sikh of Chayisad HaTov Shenun where he spoke about, and a few other Sikhs in that period, that the mission now, the Shlichas now, is to bring Mashiach, which is a Gilead L'Kuz that's higher than existence, and bring that into, and integrate it, and internalize it into existence as we know it. So, we move now as we move to the end of the month of Av. We're going to be moving into the month of El, and here too, Rabbi Yitzchak in another Torah says, "How Av is the Pegam, which means the wound in Malchus, indignity, as we discussed in the past uh, few weeks ago. Tishav, it's ten, but not nine. The tenth sphere, Malchus, has been wounded, the Levona." And that that pagam has to be repaired and corrected, and that's repaired and corrected as we move into El Chodesh Arachmin, the month of compassion, where we repair the wounds, and it goes through the month, the fifteenth of El, when the moon is full, which is the Tikkun, the beginning of the healing and the repair of Malchus. In simple terms, it means that even when we're wounded and injured, and our dignity has been somewhat defiled, has been somewhat defiled, in whatever fashion, whether internally, externally. So this is not the end of the story. We have the, we have that, the, the strength, and the courage to heal from that, and that's why from of is born the month of Elul, the month of Rachemim, Chodesh compassion and healing, and Moshe begins to prevail over God to forgive the Jewish people over the sin of the golden calf, which will conclude with Yom Kippur, Salach de Kedvarecha, I have forgiven. As you have spoken, God says, and this is all the period in which we are now moving from of into el. Okay, it's also the parsha of the a. Shabbos Mavarchim so we're like in this transition period. Re has many messages. There's also from Ab Levi Yitzchok on the psukim in the and especially in the mitzvah of Hanukkah. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is to give a gift to a servant after he finishes his uh, employment, after he finishes his tenure, so to speak. It's a mitzvah Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not just paying him for his wages. It's a mitzvah to give him gifts. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak has, in Tadus Levi Yitzhak, commentary on that. And the Rebbe, in Tav Shalom Beis, Gimel, many different uh, times, spoken explained his father's explanation of Hanukkah. One point that he makes in this Pasha Shalei, Hanukkah, that, uh, regarding an Aveidus Hashem, that Hanukkah is the idea that even, even when the, it was an Eved, and an Evid is a servant, which she has in the language of Chassidus, mechen Katnus, which means an evid shows on a certain lower level of service because his mind is more immature. In aveda, that would be dealing with a child or a student that's just a beginner. So it's not just enough to give him or her as much as he or she needs. Hanukkah means you're giving them far more. So, even when you're dealing with someone who may be a beginner, so to speak, and we know the Rebbe does not like the word beginner, there's no such Jew, that, a Jew that's a beginner, he not like the expression beginner service or beginner minion or something like that. That even when you're dealing with a darke, even though it's a nar and it's apidarke, which means commensurate to his stage, you still have to bestow him with the possibility to become a godl, as the Rebbe Yitzchok explains, that Hanok is turning it into godl. Because once he becomes a free person, which means he grows into an adult, you have to give him even in the you have to give him the ability to become great, not just uh, l'fierech, perp- proportionate to what he's capable of, but greatness itself. So that's a lesson from Re'e. One more point I would make with Re'e. I remember the when the Rebbe spoke. I think it was uh, Mem Gimel or Mem Dalit, eighty four or eighty three. The A, the expression is to see, behold. Behold, I give before you today the blessing. And then it says the opposite, the opposite of a blessing. The question that's asked, the Rebbe asks, is by Wherever it says nason, it, it means you're giving a gift. So giving a blessing is clearly a gift. But what kind of gift is it to give something that's called the opposite of blessing? That's not a gift. That's a curse. And the explanation is that the Pesach is not talking about something negative. The Pesach is saying, here behold, I give you, today, I give you two blessings. The blessing to know which journey, what road to travel on and what to avoid. So when someone tells you, here's the road to, path, to travel on in life, and here's the one to avoid, that's also a blessing. Sometimes even a greater blessing is saying, don't take this path. I know from experience or trial and error, it's not the path to take. So clarity is the blessing. The blessing of clarity to know what path to go on and what path not to go on. So when you sometimes hear, Aloi, do not do something, that's equally valuable than someone saying, do something. When you go to someone that advises you in building a business or any specific venture that you're involved in, not only do you want to hear what to do, you also want to know what to avoid, what pitfalls to avoid. So that's the blessing of A. as we go into the month of El, clarity, clarity. We live in many uncertain, we live in uncertain times with many issues being unclear and unknown, but that's why Teirah is called Teirah Eir, and especially Primisa Teirah, is Moir Sheba It's an illuminating force. It helps us find clarity even amidst confusion, and amidst disarray, and amidst uh, doubts and unknowns. Okay. So in practical terms, that means that when we are in, different, in challenging situations, learning teda, there's <speaking in> no free person except the one that studies teda, that Rebbe once emphasized. It doesn't say one who studies teda is free, but it says you cannot be free without teda. Why? Because teda gives you a perspective from a higher place. When you're living in this world, every perspective is part of the problem in a way. So if you're living in a type of subjugated life where you have different addictions or different commitments or different things that keep you trapped, you're not going to find a solution from within the system. Teda shines a light from beyond the system. So therefore it brings you cheres, makes you a bencher, an owner, of freedom, true freedom is not just that you don 't have shackles on. True freedom is being able to think freely to not be conform to not think like a conformist to not be bound by other people 's opinions as we 've been discussing so that 's the way one of the ways how we lift ourselves up to a greater place to be able to see life and to see situations with much in a clearer light because we 're not looking from within the problem we 're looking from outside in. So, of course, learning Tera in that sense, especially primis at teda, and applying it helps you, actually lifts you up to another way of looking at things like looking from the bird's eye view, which in turn <clears throat> informs the small, the big picture in turn informs the small picture. Okay. A little cross-referencing, and then we'll do a, a few announcements. Episodes 28, 78, 128, 174, 223, 273 and 274 are previous years when I discussed the topic of Chafov, the 20th of Av, as well as Pashas A. Go to chassidusapplied.com is a site that is uh, less than a year old where you can find all the resources you need to learn chassidus and applying chassidus. All these programs are archived there, my lab Applied. You can find them by subject, by simply searching by word. They're also timestamped in the YouTube version of each of these programs. They're all there. There's also the forum where you can submit any question. Nothing is taboo. Nothing is off limits. No holds barred. You can do it completely anon- anonymously. And I please God, the will answer all the questions that come my way. We're now re-entering after this whole COVID-19 it's still with us, but beginning to start addressing questions that came in before, that uh, are always relevant to our lives. So please submit your questions, and we will address them in its right, right time. The essay contest is almost being finished, uh, judged. We're now evaluating the final round. So you should be hearing from us. We will soon give a date when we're going to announce the winners. So keep that in mind. And um, I want to read one person wrote in regard to the announcement that I've been making the last few weeks where we don't do this all the time, but once a year at least, but maybe should be more often, asking your financial support in partnering with us in developing and expanding this program, as well as many other empowering programs that we have really uh, multiplied, many times fold in the last five months during this crisis. So, if you go, we, so we launched a Meaningful Lifeline fundraising campaign Go to MeaningfulLife.com slash Lifeline and please contribute generously and help us continue these programs which are free and also to expand them and reach even wider audiences. And please share that as well with others. So in that context, your donation will be honored firstly by helping us, but also to any dedication you would like to attach with it, whether in memory of a loved one or in honor of a loved one. So one person wrote, a separate subject, it's great how someone can sponsor a program as a way to dedicate it to a loved one's memory, etc., but this is out of range price-wise for some of us. Yes, a full dedication for my life program is $1,000. So I so a thought, how about a lesser-cost donation for sponsoring a transcript to be added to a particular class, or smaller yet for adding a transcript to a particular spiritual antidote? Another idea is setting up an option to co-sponsor a program meaning someone signing up who wants shared expense and you posting a link for those interested to join in. As added blessing, this could be a way to connect with new people by such shared offering, no small thing in our present time. By all means, thank you so much for the suggestion, and absolutely, please give as you can. There's no uh, demands, there's no conditions, and we will honor it. And it's fine to have uh, several people uh, uh, sponsoring a particular program that you find that speaks to you. And we'll be happy to honor it. So please take advantage of this opportunity. It's a great way to honor a loved one because this, you connect all the messages and empowering messages and the lessons and the strength that this gives to people with whoever is being honored with the dedication. Okay. With that, let us go to some questions. I mentioned I spoke about Mashiach last week. So a whole barrage of questions came in. So I went back to our files to see questions that still were not answered over the last year or two. And I found a few. And of course, I um decided let's let's go let's deal let's jump into it. Now, for the record, you can imagine in three hundred and twenty episodes, we've spoken about Mashiach quite a few times. So I will make some cross referencing, but look, it's still the subject should be and is alive, and we should be talking about it. So it deserves obviously Focus and priority, especially with the Rebbe telling us that we are in the last, last stage. All we have to do is do that final step that will finally bring the Geula and Mashiach with to, to us. So, oh, I should add one more thing. Last week, Tisha B'av was broadcast a uh, podcast called Headlines with Rabbi David Lichtenstein where they interviewed me on this topic and two other rabbis. You can find it on our site. If you need a link and you can't find it, just look around and say, "What Mashiach? what's it all about? That was the title. It's posted at MeaningfulLife.com. There's even a podcast section. If you need help finding it, you can always send us a, a text or a, 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 on the forum, write your question, but please add your email address so we can send you the link. If you don't add it, we don't know how to reach you. <clears throat> So there were, I received quite a few responses, very positive ones, to that program. Uh, it's not directly in the series of my life, but it's uh, obviously it everything is connected. So please check it out. It was a very fascinating conversation, a podcast, an audio. So following up that, I received some questions in addition to, as I said, questions that have come in over the last months and period in time. Hi Rabbi Jacobson, I heard you speak on the recent Headlines podcast and it was a bit of a letdown. Based on what we see from Sichas, it seems like the Rebbe was 100% calling the Friedrich Rebbe Mashiach and in later years the Rebbe explicitly mentioned this several times. I understand your time was limited on the show, but in general we should not be open, should we not be open about letting people know that based on that, on what the Rebbe told us, we believe he is the one. Also, by letting people know he is the one, we are making it clear that connecting to the Rebbe and his teachings we bring Mashiach, shouldn't we be doing this? Please address thank you with much respect. Before I address, I'm going to read a few more questions because it's good to see the mix. Well, here's a question that came in, exact opposite, (laughs) which I tell you. Someone writes, I really loved your presentation on the podcast, especially in contrast with the other rabbis. It was recorded, so we weren't together in a panel, but they were juxtaposed one near the other in the program. I actually didn't even know what the other rabbis said. I'm just pointing that out. It says, really, really well done. I've used it already with several people who have questions. You gave clarity in, in areas that many of us are confused about, and I especially appreciated how you spoke about the question of whether the Rebbe is Mashiach, the identity of Mashiach, that you spoke about in a very clear Teiradika and Halochadika way, which everyone can understand without any just based on people's feelings and so on. So there you go. And then he writes, we always would appreciate more elaboration on these topics. So there you go. You have here two different opinions, which is not uncommon. It's perfectly fine. I actually appreciate it. But let me read a few more questions. Can the Rebbe be Mashiach? Hi, Rabbi, I enjoy your podcast. I listened to a few episodes on the subject of the Rebbe could be Mashiach, And I read your prologue to your book. I was wondering if you could address the question if the Rebbe could be the Mashiach halachically after Gimel Tammuz. People have shown me the Rambam has proved that he holds Mashiach can't be from the dead, only the living. Thank you for your time. And one more final question, among many others, but this is a selection, a cross-section. Accepting the Rebbe as Mashiach. I recently learned about the Rebbe's encouragement of the singing of Yechi and accepting him as Melech Mashiach. There were, those, there were those who collected signatures and arranged a psak of Rabbonim and the rebbe approved and encouraged this. Would you be willing to explain the sources, verifying this belief is aco- verifying that this belief is according to teir? So first, let me give you some cross-referencing because it's not the first time I've addressed it. Obviously, episodes 47 and 48, 183, 185, and 186, among many others. I strongly recommend to anyone listening to this because I'm going to be brief here, because I addressed this elaborately in the podcast I mentioned, headlines. Listen to that, and I believe you'll get much more clarity. But I will say a few key things. There's so many different opinions and feelings on this matter. The only way a Torah Jew and Chabad is kule Torah, kule Haloch, it's not some other movement, God forbid. So we have to look in the Shulchan Aruch. You have to look in our Everything has to have a source. A person to say, my, I feel my Rebbe is Mashiach. You're, you're entitled to your Hagashim. But is it a Hergish al Is it your own feeling? Is it correct? Is it not correct? To avoid all that, and not just with Mashiach, with anything. We don't base things on feelings. We base things on what the Ebers just said. How do we know Mashiach is going to come? Because you and I like the idea. Because my mother and my father told me. Because the Rebbe told me. No. Because the to himself, the creator of the universe, who gave us the teda, told us Mashiach is going to come. And he hints to it in Pesukim, in Pasha Balok, Pasha Netzavim, and other places. And the Neviim, the Rambam says, in the prophets it's filled with this, especially books of Yish- like Yeshaya, entire chapters. That's how we know. Everything has to be sourced in sources. So the next question you can ask is, how do we know who Mashiach is? So we talk and don't know. We only know what the Rambam tells us, certain features, characteristics. Be sown from the house of David, Amalek. Someone committed to Teter Mitzvahs, Hugo, Someone who inspires others in that regard. Someone who will fight a war. It's not clear what war that is, but that's not, just stating that in Hilchus Malachim. Chapter 11. That, that makes him cheskas mashiach, meaning presumed to be mashiach. Throughout history, there are many people who presumed to be mashiach because they filled those criteria. They fulfilled those criteria. Then he goes on the Ramba and says, how do you know it's a mashiach vadeh? How did you move from presumed to be to absolutely? He says, he re-builds builds the base of me in its place, in its space and gathers the exiles from all over, back there to Yisrael. And then he says, and all the nations will be transformed. These two conditions, primarily these two, or maybe the third, but mostly these two, make him a Mashiach Vaday, And that is the only Mashiach that finally, that brings the Geulamitiz Vashlema. The first stage is Cheskas Mashiach. Now we don't have a Baisa Shashlishi. So if you're going to follow a Rambam, the Rambam, and the Rebbe cited this Rambam. No one overrules this Rambam. The Rebbe made it clear that the Ravid, when he wants to disagree, he's very clear about his disagreement. Since there's no one disagreeing, the Klal is that everybody agrees. And as such, since you don't have a third base that you can't say Mashiach Vada. The fact that some people feel it's Mashiach vaday, or some people feel the Rebbe will become Mashiach vaday, that's already... A matter of a person's opinion. Now I understand some people don't like to hear this because they've been either trained or been programmed or whatever it may be. But if you're going to speak halacha, that's halacha. Does this mean that the Rebbe cannot become a Sheik Vada? He could. Now, what about Gimel Tammuz? What does that do? So the Ramam does say im nerag, That's how they knew that Bar Kochva, because he was killed, that he wasn't Mashiach, even though Rabbi Kiva and others felt he was. He didn't end up being. So the question is, what about the Rebbe after Gimel Thomas? We know api halokha, is a pi halacha, Gimel Thomas is a factor. So you could cite the Gemara that says, Imina There is a Gemara that says that he could come from the Mesim. Does that mean he has to come? No. If you're a chosin and feel that the Rebbe is going to return after Gimel Thomas as you are you entitled to feel that way? You're entitled. But let me ask you a simple question. Are we connected to Mashiach, the Tzudas Haguf, what his body looks like, or are we connected to the Neshom of Mashiach? Even a Rebbe, are you connected to the body of the Rebbe, his, his physical appearance, or to the Neshom of the Rebbe. So when you really start thinking about it, and you're not Magashin, you don't turn it into some crass and some type of very, uh, very um, unsubtle approach to it, you address it more properly. Mashiach is a Shli'ech Hashem. The Chassam Sefer writes, cited in the Sikhs, that Mashiach will come, there'll be a person in every every generation that's possible to be Mashiach, and when the time comes, the Ebeshta tells him, now's your time, and puts into him either an extra Neshama or extra Koyach to be Mashiach. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Till he was 80, he was not yet the Goyal. He was groomed for it, he was born to be, but it was 80 years old when the Ebeshta said, now the time has come, now go into Mitzrayim and start talking to Pateh, and the whole pasuk that till he got the Jews out of Mitzrayim, actually before eighty. But that period of time. Then forty years after that, Mesharim Rabenu Zestalkus, forty years from Yitzchis Mitzrayim. So, but it was not in his early years. There comes a time. And what is it about? It's being the Ebrus Shliach. That's why you say Goyel Rishon Hu Goel Achrin. Moshe comes from Shevet Levi. Mashiach comes from Shevet Yehuda, based of it. So it's explained in different places what that means. But the point is, Mashiach is not just the physical body of somebody. But I'm not here to criticize anyone. I'm talking here, how I understand it, from Teter. As far as what happened during these times where people wrote up Sagdin and so on, the Rebbe accepted. Listen, people are entitled to write to the Rebbe, we want you or we're, we're accepting you. And the Rebbe, what the Rebbe is going to say, no, you can't write to me. But at the end of the day, who decides when Mashiach comes? The Ebeshter. Only God. It's not up for election. It's not up for our determination. So even if the whole world would decide that a certain individual is Mashiach, if Hashem says, no, he's not, he's not. Even if the whole world says, now the time for Gula has come, it's up to God to make that decision. And the same thing the other way around. Even if the whole world says, that this person is not Mashiach. The Ebershta wants him to be, he will be it. And even if the world says, we're not ready for Gula, and the E-bishter says, yes, the Gula is coming, the Gula will come. Do we have a role to play? Of course we have a role to play. Tut alzva vasel ken, do everything you can. Anyway, much more elaborated on that podcast. You please listen to that. And that's the approach. That's a Tayladika approach, a approach. The different hints in the Sikhs. With the different indications. Yes, because the fact of the matter is, in every generation, there is a Mashiach. The Nasi of a generation is the potential Mashiach of the generation. And when the Ebrishtha wants, he will become the Mashiach. That says in Svodim, cited in the different sources in the Sikhis, Nunalef, Nunbates. Okay, when I was asked to write the prologue, not prologue, epilogue, I should say, you know, a prologue. The publisher, William Morrow, asked me to write about the Rebbe as Mashiach. I really did not want to when I wrote Toward a Meaningful Life. I said, the book speaks about the Rebbe's teachings. Why do we have to get into that controversial element? They said, everyone's talking about it. They insisted. So what did I do? I wrote exactly what I felt. I wrote that, unfortunately, the Rebbe's relevant, highly relevant message to each one of us has become obfuscated by a question whether the Rebbe is Mashiach. Because it's a very sensational question. And we don't want to turn to sensationalism. So I I, I wrote there. That the Rebbe himself would say to you, what difference does it make? If it motivates you to become a better person, a better Jew, a better human being, that's the bottom line. That you'll do whatever is possible to do in your life and the life of those around you to help prepare the world for Gula? That's my objective. It's not here, not necessary to go around and announce and pronounce who is and who isn't, especially what difference does it make. If a person feels connected to the Rebbe and his directives, that's the bottom line. It's not about proclaiming titles that can also, also just be lip service. To me, someone's committed to the Rebbe they're committed to the Rebbe's teachings, his directives, his actions, his requests, his campaigns, his efforts and initiatives. Now, I've talked about this many times, so I think that will suffice. Okay, next question. What should we do about liberals trying to force our schools to teach their agenda? This was this was sparked by some of the discussions I had in the last weeks about, um, there was a class I gave called Elephants and Donkeys, or Donkeys and Elephants, Elephants and Donkeys, Where Are the Humans? So I received a lot, a lot of feedback on that, more than usual. And as a result, people have written, and I'll read a few selections of some of these questions. And um, so... So this question was writing that it's not just a matter of political parties fighting with each other, that what lies at stake is a whole ideology. There's a whole liberal movement trying to force their agenda on the rest of the population. So here someone writes in these words. Rabbi, in the UK, the secular left has already made it law that every school must teach about plus. Oh man, every day there's another letter being added must teach about LBGTQ plus issues. Schools that don't do it can be shut down, and there are already a number of firm schools in the UK that are suffering under this law. It is so severe that some have discussed uprooting the entire community from the UK. The left in our country wants to do the same. It's not a question of donkeys and elephants, which is the symbol for Democrats and uh, Republicans. It's a question of the divine image in the humans, and if we don't vote the right way, gone will be the divine image. So I totally agree with you. I understand it's not just about political uh, fights. We are talking about, but I do not believe, and as I said, that every Republican is uh, the holiest person and every Democrat is evil. What it's come to represent is, yes, unfortunately, that the Democratic Party, for many, has represented a much more left-wing approach. And the Republicans, not so much. But as coming from a Torah perspective and a citizenship perspective, what we should be looking for is exactly that. To reintroduce God into the schools, to reintroduce God into our lives. And there could be separation of church and state, as the Rebbe said many times. We're not talking about imposing religion on anyone. We're talking about recognizing that we're accountable to a higher force. To Reyev isn't Shemas, an eye that sees, and he hear that, and the ear that hears. The words of the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence that all people are created equal and are endowed by the creator, the creator, with inalienable rights or unalienable rights. That's what we need to reintroduce. Democrats and Republicans, that's the basis of this country. What I want to avoid is not turning this itself into another battle. The battle has to be for the truth, for God, for the equality, for the rights of every individual, the sacred rights and so on. All parties should be representing that. That's what we should be demanding. So, as as you'll see from some of the other writers, people misunderstood. I assume what I meant. I don't know if maybe they didn't misunderstand. It could be that everyone understood. I was saying was that the elephants and the donkeys have gotten to this polarized politicization of everything, that you can't even talk about real issues. I'm not pointing fingers. Which one? Which party? It's individuals, and these individuals have turned this into, instead of a common interest of fighting a pandemic, of looking for higher moral values that we can provide to our men, women, and children of this country, a spiritual vision, a divine fortitude, an approach to life, it's been, everyone has stooped to this type of infighting, bloodletting, mudslinging, sensationalism, with the media, in many ways, fueling it all, because it's excellent, perhaps, for their entertainment purposes. That was my main point that I want to make. But of course, there are real issues at stake. Who will represent these real issues? Well, you look at the candidates, you take the best of the worst, and see who will most represent what we consider to be divine values, Jewish values, Morality, ethics, and not some other agenda that is that can be toxic for us and our children. So in following up on this topic, another person wrote, the divine image, Reb Simon. The, the divine image. Sorry, that's the headline. Reb Simon, in your broadcast donkeys and elephants, where are the humans? You spoke about what you think is a unifying message that all humans are created in the divine image. There's only one problem. The left doesn't believe in God. And therefore, humans can't be in the divine image. That's why they can kill babies in the womb and call it a woman's choice. Your message of the divine image only spoke to the elephants. (laughs) It doesn't talk to the jackasses. This election is a fight... (laughs) You made me laugh. What can I tell you? (laughs) This election is a fight for our values and it's best that as a Jewish community we stay focused on where we want our country and the world to head. Good? Good? Again, I don't know if all elephants were listening either, and I don't know if all donkeys can't listen. That's why I'm, I'm careful, not because I'm trying to be politically correct and be nice with everyone. We, I, know, I state my positions very clearly here, but I don't like to personalize them and put everybody into a group, just like you don't want to be in a group and I don't want to be in a group. We have to be able to say to people, let's talk about the values, let's talk about the merit of the message. Forget about where it's coming from and which party is embracing it. But of course I understand the practical side. When it comes to the election day, you have to f- cast a ballot, cast a vote, and you have to choose one or the other. So that's why we need to be as wise as possible to choose, yes, something that follows our values. But you see clearly, I'm not going to go into a, um, a political discussion on the matter with any endorsements. Let's talk the issues. And then those issues should direct our votes and our positions and, our, and, our, uh, and whom we support. Another person writes, again in the same vein, the law of the creator, which invests every human being with an inalienable title to freedom, cannot be repealed by any interior law which asserts that man's property. Socialism and the left versus Chabad and Judaism. Okay. Why don't we get it? I think, by the way, that was an extension of the previous... Comment. I'm not sure why it was compiled here. So, yeah, I, I think uh, yeah. The, the next one starts here. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you so much. Yeah, it, it, after the words we stay focused on where we want our country, the world to head. Was meant to say that with where we want the whole world to head is the law of the Creator, which invests every human being with an inalienable right. Just fixing the text here, and that's that. Okay. Right, so the next, top, the next questioner began with the t- title Socialism and the Left versus Chabad and Judaism. Why don't we get it? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you so much for your wonderful weekly Chassidah Supply broadcast and all you do to spread the teachings of our Rebbe, of our Rabbeim. My husband and I watch Chassidah Supply every week. After you mentioned your broadcast about donkeys and elephants, we watched it, and I have to say I was rather dismayed. How come we don't get it? In the 20th century, the godless socialists of the USSR, in their own opinion, they were socialists aspiring to communism. They sought to destroy Judaism and Chabad. They intended to kill the Frida Kerebe, and would have were not for the international attention brought by, among others, the USA. Socialism and the left always seek to destroy God and religion. When you ask, where are the humans? Implying somehow in my understanding that we should be beyond politics, I think you missed the entire point. This upcoming presidential election will be a referendum on, amongst a myriad of issues, whether we are free, capitalist society based on the foundations of individual, quote, unalienable rights endowed by our creator, end quote or a godless socialist dystopia where every community, black, brown, Muslim, etc., is joined by Marxist ideology and intersectionality to destroy our society. As one can see when they keep half an eye on the news how much anti-Semitism is coming out of the left and the black community of professional athletes and celebrities. If the left wins, gone will be our religious freedom and tolerance of Jews, as Chabad Siddim will have been under the boot of socialists why are we so stupid? Not to understand. It's not a question of the spirit of the spirit animals of the political parties. It's a question of the survival of Judaism in the USA. Well, though I read what you wrote, and you're entitled to your opinion, I don't have quite a fatalistic attitude to that. I believe in the country in the United States, there have been many left pres- presidents, and there are certain principles in the United States. Yes, some presidents uphold in a more prominent way, and others in a lesser way. And I'm confident that uh, that even if certain parties win, it's not going to create this type of um, uh, the, 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 the apocalypse that you're describing. That's my strong opinion. And based, of course, on the Rebbe's approach to things, he saw this country as a malchus al chesed, a kind country, a country based on Torah laws. The declaration remains there. Yes? And the debates go on. I'm not suggesting there aren't parties and people who do have a Marxist and other ideology that is undermining, but I don't think it's quite that extreme or to the one way or the other. The country, as far as we see it, it's gone through almost, uh, it's in 1776, where we're talking here is almost 300 years, right? 1819. Yeah, and it is um, 1876, 1976. Um, and it has stood up and been a haven for the Jewish people, for religious freedom, for freedom of expression. And that do not go away. That is actually a sign of a country that has embraced in principle, and at least institutionally, the principles of Sheva Mitzvah as the Rebbe has spoken about many times. And we have to support that, and obviously find candidates that support the vision that we identify with. Obviously there's going to be other opinions, and we're uh, and, and, and not disagreeing that there are such forces, but I don't believe that because somebody's going to win an election here or there, it's going to change the whole course of events. Okay. So there's some more questions on this. Donkeys and elephants, I guess, has really gotten captured the imagination of people. We'll leave that for a later, a later program. There was more I was going to do, but I see time is now winding down. I had a bunch of follow-ups I wanted to do. Let me just follow up on one with the time, and then we'll do the others later. This was about continuing the conversation about is it appropriate to see non-religious therapists and to look into books that have non-Jewish sources for marriage or self-help and so on. So... So let me finish that. I spoke about it last week. I just want to tie it up. So one final question about this topic was did the Rebbe ever send ever refer anyone to a therapist? Did the Rebbe ever encourage or okay people to turn to secular books for marriage and parenting advice? What did the Rebbe say about parenting experts or marriage experts? "Quote unquote. Is it okay and or ideal for a chassid to seek advice from these books? Does the idea of a chokhm, of chachma ba'goyim taman? that we can believe that there's wisdom among the nations. Does that apply in these cases? Are there any heirahs from the Rebbe regarding this, any directives from the Rebbe regarding this? Another person asked, is it a problem for a firm person, especially al to read non-Jewish books? What about ones that are perfectly appropriate and ones that also help people become better human beings? So, just for the record, I discussed this at length and I'll give you the cross-referencing after I give you a summation. I spoke about it last week, and uh, this is complementing what I said then. So let me say this. First of all, yes, there are directors from the Rebbe. It wasn't always the first option when a couple was not getting along, or other marital or other psychological, personal issues. So the Rebbe would always say, speak to a third party, a mentor, a, rav, a rabbi, someone who's trained, someone has experience, someone cares about you. Yes, a shemaim, But there's clearly letters from the Rebbe and answers that either you don't find that or if it doesn't help, to go to a psychologist, to go to a therapist. And in this case, obviously a therapist that identifies and relates and respects your faith and religion is best, but sometimes you may not find that. Sometimes there's an expert in this area like it is with other areas. There's an expert attorney, an expert surgeon. I understand it's much more subtle when it comes to emotional, spiritual matters. But still, to say, to negate it completely, I think it's case by case. Because of Chochmah by Goyim that they've developed methods, you just have to find the right one. Remember, many therapists are not good, period. It has nothing to do with Judaism. And Nitna Rishus Larev L'rapis, gives us get permission for a healer to heal. That doesn't not just purely a purely medical doctor. It could also be someone dealing with emotions and matters of the spirit, and so on. But yes, you have to be careful. You want to find the right person who gives good advice, and I always advise make sure that person works hand in hand with your Mashpia, so you know that it's being directed in the right way and not something that maybe, God forbid, not in the spirit or antithetical to the Torah approach. The episodes where I address this more at length is 75, 202 and 203, 232 and 233, 245, and see also episodes 24 through 28 and 49. Okay. I'm going to do two more follow-ups from episode 319. We spoke then about betachen for wealth, does it apply to have trust in God, not just for your needs, but also beyond your needs? Regarding in Ashirus, which means trusting that you'll get become wealthy, didn't the Rebbe say that everyone should be mishtadl, everyone should make an effort to get the rechuz gadl, the great treasure, in order to end the galus. The rechuz gadl is referring to the verse which says, after the years of oppression and slavery in Egypt, they'll go out with the great wealth. And the Rebbe definitely referred to it that we should get that great wealth today to end the Golosh, just like before Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. Also, I heard that the the multi-billionaire Levayev, when he was only a teenager, asked the Rebbe for Ashir's wealth, and the Rebbe told him to give 10% and a little more from his earnings in a very strict calculation of 10%. Ashir, Ashir Shetis Ashir. A wealthy person will only become wealthier when he does that. Ubchanuni <laughs> the mitzvah of zduk, it says, God says, test me with this. It's the only mitzvah you can test God with Zdakr. And the results for Levi speak for themselves. While sitting with folded hands and having only accomplish, will sitting on folded hands and only having batah accomplish the same thing? Or, more, or must we also tut must we also make an effort? Obviously, trust just comes together with an effort. I don't know if this is a contradiction to what we spoke about. I don't know if you can conclude from this that trusting in God that you'll have wealth is going to work. At the end of the day, God is going to decide. Yes, it could very well be that a person will be blessed, and especially if he gives daka, will make the keli, and God chooses that he's my partner, and I will give him wealth. Because I trust him that he'll know how to use the wealth and how to give the wealth. So this was not about whether wealth is a blessing. Of course it's a blessing. In Judaism, poverty is not the aspired goal. But how to get to that place of wealth? Is it through trust? Is it through effort? Is it through a tefillah? So that we discussed last week, and this is the additional component here that we discussed now. One more follow up. We spoke in episode three nineteen about Muhammad's Goigu Mogeg. It's referred to the Muhammad of Goigamag. And which does not mean a goig and magog. Goig was the king of magog. Thank you very much for your inspiration. Hashem should bench you in abundance for this. During your answer on the question about goig and magog, you cited the Mitla Rebbe who said that there won't be any more catastrophes to befall the Yidin. That's what the Mitla Rebbe writes. The Holocaust came after that statement was said. So, what is, what is the meaning of the Mitla Rebbe's words? It's an excellent question. It's a question that has been asked as by the Rebbe. And instead of me going over now, go to episode 31, and there I elaborate with all the answers of the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave different answers to different individuals, what it means, how could the Holocaust have happened after the Mitla Rebbe wrote that. But it's very clear that the Rebbe said there will be not another Holocaust, there will not be a Muhammad, Geig, Mogig, not in the physical sense at least. And, uh, okay. So with that, let us go to the Chassidist question, which we do at the end of each program. And I, I always feel like inadequate that I haven't finished everything I wanted to speak about. But maybe that's a sign that we always have more to do. Great. The Chassidus question is a part two to last week's question where we spoke about Shviras HaKelim. So there's a concept in Kabbalah, and of course explained in Chsidis Shviras HaKelim, the shattering of the containers in the world of Toihu. And Tikkun, when you say Tikkun, is the repair. Tikkun means repair of what? of the shattered containers. So the question last week we addressed is, was that an accident? Of course it wasn't, because it's part of God's plan. So following up, here's some follow-up question to that. It sounds, Sphere sounds like something went wrong in creation and stuff got broken. As we explained, that's not the case. That was per plan. Say There was an imbalance that needed to be addressed. So it's like balancing the equations. So first you have to Recognize the imbalance, it creates a shattering on the condition that it should now be repaired. But on the other hand, this person writes the process of the spheres going from Adam Kadman, Ak. Adam Kadman is the primordial man, it's the first, so to speak, paradigm, the first world after the, the Tzimtzum, the Kav, creates Adam Kadman, where all spheres were united. Sometimes they say there's no spheres yet, no Kalim in Adam Kadman. They begin 10 energies in one container in Akudim. Sometimes Akudim and, Ad, and Adam Kadman are equated. We've spoken about this a while back. She says so, as the spheres evolve, go from Adam Kadman to Elam Tayu, because after Ak comes, Adam Kadman comes Tayu, comes Akudim, then Nukudim, which is another name for Tayu. Nukudim are spots or dots. He says the quotes I'm writing elam are not inten- are intentional because it's not a true elam. Not sure why you say that. It's called elam ateyu. It's not a true elam as in the full functioning, multi-dimensional, interconnected atzilus. Correct, yes. where the spheres are separate. Correct, in teyo the spheres now are separate. They become separate entities, and then it continues on to atzilus where spherus are in a state of tikkun repair. Sounds like a necessary and proper step. Not a destructive action, but a creative process. Exactly right, and that's exactly what we discussed last week. But then I'm still confused, because there are shards of the kalim, there are shards of these containers from Olam HaToyu, which are the sources of klipa, correct? It says the shards, in a sense, even though they're not physical, they became the root of what we call klipa, because now they're separated from the energy, the, the, basically the peel, the shell, the husk, is separated from the light within it. So then, that would seem, back to the initial question, is that also part of the plan? Because that seems like the shattering created this chaos. Can you give some clarity to what broke and how this fits into creation, which at the core is not about breaking and destruction, but about creation? Yeah. So as I explained, and this is actually one of the things, that one of the Rebbe's explanations in his father, Rabbe Levi Yitzchok's, Teda, Rabbi Yitzchok has a Teda on toyu speaks about a whole different time, says seven times the word Kvuras, uh, Kvuras Mes, Mes, by Yisara, seven times about it being, being pat, that Misa, he talks that it corresponds to the seven emotions in Toyu with the main Shvira, the main Misa, because it comes from the Psukim in Vayishlach, where it talks about Vayimlach, vayamos, the seven, the six or seven kings that ruled, and then they died, hinting to Toyu, so basically there he talks about how toyu has an impact on emotions, how it has an impact on intellect, and has an impact on Rotzen on Kesser. Not to go into the details, the bottom line is this. Toyu is an imbalanced universe. It's a whole universe, but it's imbalanced. And as, as I explained last week, it's like a market correction and a reality check telling us that there's an imbalance because once the tzimtzum happened, which means it concealed the divine truth, and allowed for an independent consciousness to emerge. But that's not completely correct. The independent consciousness is just, is just not aware. So somewhere there's something has to give. So the Eurus and kalim and Toyu are essentially imbalanced. The erus are very in- intense. The kalim are very w- fragile. And there's a shattering. What is that an equivalent of in, in, in simple English? So the Rebbe gives an example and from Chassidus. It's like having words that are written on a page... Let's say baruch, the word baruch. So everyone understands the word baruch is not just beiz, reish, vov, a composite of four letters. It means blessed, blessing, Bracha, bless. However, if you, if you separate the letters and you take away its message, then you have a beiz here and a reish here and a vov here and a chaf here, 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 which is like the shattering of the containers, then the message of baruch is, in a sense, nostalgic. It would be like tearing up a page, and now you're looking at the page, you see a bunch of letters, you don't see its message. So Toyu, the intensity of the energy was, not, was unable to be contained by the containers, and therefore created a, a uh, split. With the mission being exactly that, and that's its purpose, for us to come and reconnect the letters, reconnect the narrative. Our lives can be very fragmented, very disjointed, because there's a bunch of different scattered pieces from Toyo, The food you eat, the, the, what you drink, your job, the places you travel to, we have a bunch of different things going on. Our job is to bring Ardus in pirud, to take the separate elements and join them together in one harmony. That's the tikkun of Tayu. So Toyo has both elements. One is it's a it's very intentional shattering for the balance, but then there is work to be done, and that's our work. In a way we call bitter, uh, bitter What does that mean? Clarifying the sparks, elevating the sparks, reconnecting them and the shards, which is the elements, the containers that shattered, and turn it back into a cohesive narrative, the divine narrative. A unity within all the diversity, recognizing the divine purpose in every detail of our lives. A cohesive harmony. A diversity, but harmony within diversity. Okay. In Episodes 157, 262, and 307, I discussed this further. So if you want more, just go there. With that, let us conclude this Episode 321 of My Life Chassidus Applied. May we go from the last days of of with the power of the Hilula and Stalkus of the Rabbi Yitzchok and Chofov, into the last days of Av, which then will give birth to Chedish Elel, which of course gives birth to Tishrei and Rosh and Yom Kippur and Shanarabah and Sukkus. And all those powerful days should be only Yehov Chiyom and from Ov and celebrate the Gula Amitiz Vashlema. Thank you very much. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. My Life, is Applied. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupply.com slash donate.